Well, it's good to see everybody here this morning. I want to thank you all for coming out to be with us today. Back when I was in my previous church in Indiana, there was a lady that was in our church. It was one of the charter members of the church. She and her husband, Lawrence, her name was Helen. They had been there from the very beginning when the church was first just an idea. They were there when there was just a handful of people that started the church. And she was at this point when I was there 90 years old. Her husband, Lawrence, was 95. And Helen had fallen and broken her hip, and I went to make a visit. I'm sorry, Lawrence had fallen, and Helen was there with him. And I went to make a visit because they had taken Lawrence now, had gone into the hospital, and ultimately would go into a nursing home for a little while. But I was sitting there at her house talking to her, and um, we were talking about various things. And then she sort of drifted off into one of those moments where you just are, are thinking, you know. She was in deep thought. And she looked at me, and she said, Pastor, she said, you know, it's a terrible thing to grow old. I said, yeah, I know. And uh, she said, you know, the bad thing about it is, she said, I still look at myself as a young girl in a broken body. That's what I think of myself. And she said, there are times in my life when I get depressed and times when I'm afraid and times when I worry. And sometimes it's just hard to cope with life and everything that's going on at this point in our lives. And then she went on to say, she said, you know, the only thing, though, that helps me. She said, when I find myself getting down like this, she said, I, I begin to think about heaven because I know it's not too far away from me. And she said, I, uh, I begin to think about what's there, what God has given me, and how he's blessed me, and what I have to look forward to. And she said, you know, she said, it's really strange. She said, because when I begin to think about heaven, she said, I, I'm not as afraid anymore. And I thought to myself, I've never, you know, I've never forgotten that. I've never forgotten her telling me that about how she was feeling. And the truth of what she had come to realize, and... Um, just two years later, she passed away, and she and her husband both are with the Lord. And I began to think about that quite often and think as I, especially as I grow older, and, and uh, I know that you have thought about this too, it's not a pleasant time in life. Uh, you know, our health begins to fail, our friends begin to die away, and things just don't uh, bring us a whole lot of joy anymore, and it's a hard time. And it's not just during that time, but during a lot of things that go on in our lives that just get us down. And sometimes we come to the point in life where we just don't think we can cope anymore. Um, we get to that point in life where if something doesn't change, we just feel like we're going to go crazy. Um, you may not be elderly. You may be in the prime of your life. But yet something right now is not going well for you. Maybe a family member is sick or you're sick or uh, money's got you down or children have got you down, one thing or another. Whatever it is, something has brought you to the point of saying, you know, I don't know that I can cope. I don't know that I can handle this. It's just too difficult for me. Today what I'd like to do is to give you some help with that and to share with you three things that you can do to help yourself cope. Now this is for anybody. Anybody in whatever situation you find yourself, the things that I'm going to share with you are not uh, new ideas. They're not something that uh, you haven't heard before in some form or fashion. But three things that I want to bring to you that I hope that as you begin to implement these or to think about these, 
that they will indeed bring you some relief, in some way cheer you up, in some way bring you to the point where you can begin to lift your head up and not be down as much. And I really think that this will help you because it's scriptural. And so with that in mind, I want to take you to a passage of scripture. But before I do, I want to set the stage as to where what is going on in this particular passage of scripture. Now, like last week when we were looking in John 16, this is a, the, the time in the life of Christ where this is his last night. In other words, he's in the upper room with the disciples, the Last Supper. Judas has just been exposed, and he's left the room. Peter has boldly said, you know, I'll follow you anywhere. And Jesus said, no, you won't, because before the night is over, you will have denied me three times. He's told them that he's leaving, that he's going to be crucified, and where he's going, they cannot follow, and they don't understand that. He's told them that now that I'm leaving, I want you to really begin to love each other the way you should. And a lot of the things that go on there in that, those ending chapters of John, there's about three or four chapters that cover just the, the Last Supper, things that he taught them. And it was there that night that he says what he says now. It's in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Now I want you to follow along with me just up on the screen as I read this to you. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to this place where I'm going. Now, in these, three, in these four little verses, there are three things that I want to bring out of here that I want you to really see and I want you to think about that I hope will help you to cope with the problems you're going through in life right now, whatever that may be. Here's the first one. Like I said, it's no, nothing new, but here it is, and I want you to think about it. That if you're going to cope, you're going to need to get control over worrying. You're going to have to control your worry in life. He's saying, well, you know, that's the whole problem. Well, not really. That's not the problem. You know, that's um, a part of it, but that's not the whole problem. But worry is an important issue here. Now, I want to read you this first verse here again in John chapter 14, and pay attention. I'm just going to read you the first part of it, okay? He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. What? Now, if anybody had a reason for being troubled, if anybody had a reason for worrying, these guys did. I mean, you just told me all of these things about Judas and about <clears throat> Peter and about your dying and about leaving and all these things, and we're scared to death. And we're worried, and we don't know what to do. We're, we are at our wit's end here. And then you come over and you tell me, do not let your hearts be troubled. In other words, don't be worrying about it. As horrible as it is and, and as bad as it sounds, I don't want you to worry. You know, it's amazing to me sometimes how that we as Christians will worry about things that we can't fix. 
you know, we can't do anything to it. We can't do anything to change it. We've done all that we can, and the situation that we find ourselves in goes unchanged. And yet, for some reason, and I don't understand this, we think that if we worry about it, then we're doing something. And sometimes my wife gets angry at me because she said, do you not care about this issue or problem we have? Or do you not worry about this? I said, well, why? It doesn't mean that you don't care. It doesn't mean that it's not important. But it does mean that you've come to the realization that it's beyond your ability to change. And there are many things in life that are just beyond your ability to change. But yet we continue to worry about them because in our minds we tell ourselves, I can at least do this as if we're doing something. All the stuff that he just told them that they're going to face, and he told them a lot more than this in the passage. Then he says, now, don't let that trouble you. Don't worry about that. Well, how? Why? I mean, what are you, what are you telling me? How can you tell me not to let this worry me? How can you do that? And the answer is in the latter part of the verse where he says, you believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, your faith, your trust in me is what's going to get you through this. Now, please understand this and listen very carefully, okay? People say, well, I can't help myself. I've got to worry about this. No matter what I do, no matter what happens in life, I'm just worrying about it. I'm just a worrier, we tell ourselves, as if that's a category of people. And yet, in this passage, Jesus tells these disciples, don't do it. Now, you know what that tells me? That we can control it. Don't let it happen. In other words, it's something that's going to come naturally. We don't have to work at it. But don't you let it happen. Well, how am I going to stop from doing that? Well, he tells you right there, then you're going to have to believe me. You're going to have to trust me. Believe what? Well, just to trust that God has this. You know, as, as a believer in Christ, I've got to come to the realization that no matter how bad that situation looks to me, my God has it. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. And I can't stand up here as a pastor and tell you that whatever situation you're going through in your life is going to be fixed. It may not. But I want you to understand that the Lord has it. I want you to understand and to believe this is all part of this faith issue, to trust and believe that God cares about you, that God loves you, in spite of what you feel because you're going through this. I want you to understand and believe that God will give you the strength to go through it. If he does not change the circumstance, your God will take you through it. And this is what he kept conveying to these disciples. You're going to get through this. So don't be troubled. Don't let it trouble you. What are you worried about in your life? What is it? You know, maybe you don't have enough money. I don't know anybody has enough money, do we? Maybe your health is failing, your family's falling apart. But you're worried and you're afraid and you're scared and you're down to the dumps. And I want you to understand something. That as you look into the scriptures, the opposite of faith is, is not disbelief. The opposite of faith in the Bible is fear. All through the Bible, Jesus would come to his, his men, his women, whoever was doing his bidding, and he would say to them, don't be afraid. Trust me. Don't be afraid. I'll be with you. 
In other words, the opposite of them having faith was to be afraid. And whenever you're worrying, guys, I got to tell you, we're not believing. We're just letting fear grip us and take control. And there comes a time where we have to realize this, and there comes a time where we have to put our faith in the Lord to get us through that, whether he gets us out of it or not, to get us through it. But we keep saying, well, okay, but what if, you know, what if my health gets worse? Then that's okay. God's got it. What if I don't have enough money? Well, you know what? That's okay, too, because God's got that, too. What if I die? That's okay, too, because God's got it. There's no reason, looking from what Jesus tells these disciples, there's absolutely no reason in this world for you and me to worry. That doesn't mean your problem is insignificant. It just simply means that there's no reason for you to be troubled by it. There's no reason for you to be worrying about it. Let God have it. Give it over and say, Lord, it's yours. I belong to you. This problem is yours. And you're big enough to take care of it. And if you don't, I'm okay with that. Because you're God and I'm not. And see, this is an issue. This is an issue of faith where you walk over and you, it's like walking up to a table with your problem in your hand and you say, okay, God, here it is. And I'm leaving it there and you take care of it. It's just a way of thinking. It's a mindset that you and I have got to get into where we, where we just learn to control the worry. Like you said, don't let it happen. Just don't. Now, here's the second thing I want you to point out to you is this. You and I need to eliminate our feelings of hopelessness. To eliminate your feelings of hopelessness. Um, one of the things that causes us to, to get so far down in the dumps and depressed is that there's this overwhelming black cloud of hopelessness. Nothing is going to get better. Nothing is going to change. What, where's the end in this? And we just don't see an end to it and we become hopeless. Now, here's what I want you to see in here. You've got to really look at this, you know, to catch this, okay? He just told these guys what they're going to face, what they're going to go through. And he says, and don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't, don't worry about it. And then he says this. Now, watch. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? What? I'm sitting here worried about all of this stuff you just told me, and you're telling me that you're going to go to heaven and prepare a place for me. How is that supposed to help this situation? Why would you bring that up now? You want to know why he brought it up? To give them hope. To give them hope. In the middle of this mess they're getting ready to go through, and not just then, but for the rest of their lives. He said, here's what you need to focus on in order for you to eliminate the hopelessness that you're feeling right now. You need to have hope. And the hope is this, that I'm going, yeah, and I'm leaving, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. He said, I'll come back and get you, but I want you to understand. When the Bible speaks about heaven, whenever it talks about heaven, it is meant as an encouragement to give you hope. It's not just to give you details. It's not just to tell you, oh, yeah, this is what's coming. It's always meant for you to look at that and to have hope. 
my little lady in Indiana, you know, that's what she kept trying to convey, that here I am, 90 years old, and I get down and I feel hopeless and helpless and all these things, and I'm telling you, Pastor, that I what works for me is that I will focus my attention on what's coming because it's closer now for me than it ever has been. And she said, that's what gets me through the pain and the suffering and the heartache of what's going on in our lives. When I was up there also, there was a young lady. Age, she was about 28 to 30. Her name was Jamie. Jamie was a new believer. She was raised Catholic, very devout Catholic, and as far as going through all of the Catholicism and the things that go with that, but not a believer until she came there to that church and began to understand what grace really was. She had all kind of questions. Boy, I just loved her in my Sunday school class or a small group or whatever. And she would always ask this just, just raw questions nobody else had the nerve to ask. She was in a small group with me one time, and the sermon um, had been something about heaven, and we were talking about it that night. And all of a sudden, she pipes up, and here's what she said. She said, I just got to tell you guys. She said, I, I, I have a real problem with this. I think heaven sounds very boring. Boring. Now, she's looking at the passage like this where it talks about, you know, i got many rooms in my father's house. And, and one of her questions was, you know, a room? I get a room? You know? And, and what are we going to do all day? You know, casting these crowns at his... What, what is all that about? And, and what am I going to do? Sit around playing a harp singing song. That, to me, is just boring. I, and I could understand that. I could relate to that. Maybe other people feel that way, too. The very thought of heaven doesn't get you excited. You know, that doesn't encourage you. That's not something that gives you hope other than escaping the pain of this world. But thinking about what lies ahead just doesn't do it for you. But think about this. Because when you look into the Scriptures, heaven is described in a lot of different ways. A lot of different things are used to describe heaven and so forth. But some of the things are this. Heaven is described, for example, as... Home. It's described as home. Now think about that. You've been away on a trip, business trip. You've traveled for the last two or three weeks, and now you come and you pull into your driveway and you come into the house and you drop your luggage and you check your mail and you go over there and you sit down in your recliner and you just go, the kids come and jump up on your lap, you know, and your husband or wife is there. And I mean, that's home. That's home. And all of the emotions and feelings that that generates when you think about that, of coming home, that's how heaven is described in the Bible. That's what I'm looking forward to, home. Heaven is described in the Bible as a kingdom. That means that there's a government and there's structure, a kingdom. I can just imagine as I think about old movies you've seen, you know, of the castles in Europe and the kingdoms and so forth, just the, the majesty of a great kingdom. It's also described as a city. That tells me there's a society of people, there's relationships, there's working, there's relationships and so forth. And It's not just sitting around all day, casting crowns at Jesus' feet. It's more than that. 
Bible says that heaven is described as a country. A country. Well, that conveys that it is large, that it is vast. The God of the universe could create the universe with all of its milky ways and all of the other things that go on in this universe and the vast size of the universe. Do you think heaven would be smaller? It is also described as paradise. It means that there's beauty and there's wonder there. The Apostle Paul said that the eye hasn't seen and the ear has never heard and has never entered into your mind what God has prepared for us. It's beyond your ability to think of it. Things we do know about heaven, just in bullet form, things that we know. We are told in Scripture that it is a place where you will be safe and secure. There's nothing to fear, nothing to worry about. No more fear at all. We are told that when we get there, we're going to be like Christ, meaning that we are sinless, that we'll never experience death. We're told in the Scriptures that there's intimate fellowship in heaven. You just sit here and think of all of the people that you know, friends and family members, relatives that have gone before you, and you get to see again. You think of just fellowship with Jesus himself and the angels of heaven and all of the, the apostles and the people of the Bible that we've read about, studied about. It is a place where we have full knowledge. Now, let me explain that. Full knowledge. When we get to heaven, there's scripture that talks about that we will know everything. Now, all of the questions that you have right now will be answered the moment you step in there. There's not a time where you have to learn it. All of creation you will know automatically when you transition from this life into the next. All of the the vast um, expanse of space, and we've often wondered, is there life out there or not? Well, you'll know it. Whatever happened to the dinosaurs, you'll know it. You will have full knowledge when you get into heaven. When you get to heaven, you'll have perfect peace. There'll be no, absolutely no worry, no discomfort. You'll have continual joy, no more pain and no more tears. There will not be sadness in heaven, the Bible tells us. When you get to heaven, you'll be fully content and fully satisfied. You will not lack for anything. You'll not want anything. And when you get to heaven, there will indeed be incredible worship. There will be. You know, in the book of Revelation, when John is describing, you know, the, the throngs of people that were worshiping God and just the songs they were singing. When I was, again, up in Indiana, we went to a promise, promise keepers meeting one time in Indianapolis. And if you know anything about it, it's all men. They gather together, have speakers and so forth. And they also worship together. They'll have somebody on stage leading worship. Now, you're talking 50,000, 60,000 people, men, all there. And I'll never forget sitting there that night, and they began to sing, Holy, Holy, Holy. They're all men. They never sing. But boy, they sang that night. And you would have thought the whole place was just shaking and was going to fall to hear those low voices singing that. It was unbelievable. Can you imagine 
what it will be like to worship in heaven. It will be unbelievable. How often do you reflect on heaven? Let me ask you that. How often do you sit back and you begin to think through or you begin to study and you begin to contemplate, you know, what is it going to be like, really? Because here's what I believe, and I'm going to ask you this question. Do you think that a person can reflect on heaven and feel hopeless at the same time? See, that's what Helen was trying to convey to me. Ninety years old, I'm not long for this earth, but let me tell you what I've discovered in life. That I'm afraid, I worry, and I'm, I feel hopeless and helpless. But here's the thing that gets me through, Pastor. And if you want to tell somebody, you can. I think it's our whole idea in telling me that. Is that when I get my eyes on what's coming and off of what is, my hopelessness seems to melt away. So much of you is already there. Think about this. The Bible tells us that your name is already written there. Did you know that? Your, your name is already there in heaven. You're on the roll. That your inheritance is already there. It's nobody else's. I mean, I guess somebody walks into heaven and they're new to heaven. They're going down through there and, the, and they're on the, the gate of whatever your inheritance may be is your name. You can't have that. That's reserved for so-and-so. Your citizenship is already there. Family members are already there. So much of you is already there. And yet we reflect more often on the problems right here on this little earth than we do on the things that God has said that lie ahead for us. And you want to know why you worry? You want to know why you're despondent? Why you're depressed? Why you get down? That's the reason. God said you can control it. It's what he told his disciples. Don't let it happen. But it's going to take you putting your eyes where they belong, where home really is, getting them off of the mess in this world, and you trust me. That you belong to me, he says. And I will take you through this, as bad as it may seem. Here's the third and final thing that I want to share with you. And that is, while you're here waiting, I want you to make yourself useful. Make yourself useful. I think part of the problem we as Christians have is that while we are focused on our issues, our problems, our fears, we don't do anything. In everything that I've ever studied in psychology, you talk about depression, you talk about worry, and what they try to get people to do is just to get up and get busy, do something to get your mind off your issues. Well, this is the same way with the Lord. You and I get busy about doing His work, and we don't get down and despondent about all of the things going on in this world. When we sit around doing nothing is when we begin to... Worry and become hopeless. Listen to this verse. The next verse here in this passage in John chapter 14. It's verse 3. Now watch. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Now what is he telling them? Okay, now watch. 
He said, I'm leaving you tonight, and I'm going to go and prepare a place for you in heaven, and someday I will return and get you. Now, the question is this. While you're waiting, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Because, you see, he told them very succinctly what they were to do and what they were to be about while he was gone. He said, well, you know, if you really love me, then you're going to obey me and do what I tell you to do and be busy and love each other and, and, and share the gospel and do the things I've told you to do. And that's what I want you to do while I'm gone until I come back and get you, whenever that may be. But too many times the reason why we get so depressed and worry and despondent and hopeless is because we have too much time on our hands. And we don't do anything. I want to read you this passage. And it's a different passage. I'm going to end up I'm going to be closing with this one. It's the last passage I'm going to take you to, okay? But it's in Second Corinthians. This is the Apostle Paul. Now Paul is is stating in his terminology the same thing basically John just told us, but I want you to see this, okay? So I'm going to take you through it. It's nine verses. I'm just going to read through them and take you through it quickly. It's in Second Corinthians chapter five. I'm going to read verses one through nine. Now watch this, okay? Because Paul's talking about the same thing. He says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, now he's talking about the body. The earthly tent we live in is destroyed. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Now, here's basically what he's saying, okay? He says, I'm living right here now in this tent, temporary. See, that's the reason he calls it a tent. It's temporary this body. But there's going to be a time when I go to heaven and I'm going to be clothed with my earthly body, my uh, spiritual body, heavenly body. He's not talking about a mansion in heaven. He's talking about the difference between this covering and the covering that we will get in heaven someday. He's saying this one is temporary, that one is permanent. I want that one, is what he's saying. In verse 4, for while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened. Because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, he's, this nakedness that he's talking about, he's talking about this is now. Here we are. We're in this tent. But in reality, he said, I'm unclothed. I'm not there. I'm not, I'm not in, in my heavenly body. He said, so I consider myself to be naked without it, you see. And I'm groaning. I want to be there. I want to have it. That's how desperately anxious he was to get to heaven. He said, what will happen is this mortal body will be swallowed up by life. Isn't that an interesting statement? He said, my physical body will be swallowed up with what? The eternal body is what he's talking about, but he calls it life. Because, guys, what you're going through right now really isn't life when compared to what's coming. It's just temporary. 
In verse 5 he says, Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Oh, look at this, okay? Don't miss this. He says the one that's done all this is God, so, you know, we need to trust him. But here's what he did. The moment you put your faith in him as a human being living on this earth, he placed within you the Spirit, the Holy Spirit which is a deposit guaranteeing what's coming. Now, that's like going, you know, and buying a house or something. You put down a deposit. It's like God reserved something for you, and he sent the Holy Spirit as the deposit to guarantee what he's got for you. So the Holy Spirit is there in our bodies, in our, in our inner being, not just to enable us, as he does, not just to provide power, as he does, but he's God's guarantee that you're going to heaven. In verse 6, he says this, Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body here, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight, We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. He said, we're living by faith right now. I can't see what's up there. I can't see what lies ahead. Neither can you. Only what the Scripture conveys to us. And so everything is by faith. One day it will be by sight, but not now. So we live by faith, but he said, i got to tell you something. He said, as long as I'm down here and as long as I'm in this body, he said, I long to be there. That's how desperately I want it. Now, here's what I want you to see right here in this last verse. Now, watch. In verse 9, he says, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Oh. I'm here, I want to be there, someday I will. I take it by faith and I'm trusting in the Lord and I'm walking with Him. But as long as I'm here, till He comes back and gets me, as long as I'm here on this earth, then I make it my goal to please Him. Now see, my thoughts are in heaven. My desires are there. I look forward to this. I believe it with all of my being. And that changes the way I feel and the way I think and and so forth. But until that day, I need to be busy. Until that day, I need to be walking and serving and ministering. Why are you despondent? Why are you discouraged? Why are you hopeless? Probably because you're not doing much for him. I want to encourage you that you change that. I want to close just with a one-minute little summary. Here's, here's what I want you to take away from here, okay? Three truths that are going to help you. I want to think of it as the takeaway, all right? Number one, you have the power to stop worrying, so use it. Trust in the Lord. Trust Him with your life, every fiber of your being. Trust Him. No matter what you face, trust Him. And no matter what happens, it'll be okay because he'll take you through it. Secondly is this. When your mind is in heaven, you cannot feel hopeless. 
when your mind is in heaven, when your attention is there, then you cannot feel hopeless. So keep it there. But here's the third thing. While you wait, get busy and serve him. Get busy and serve him. Guys, you do those three things, and I really believe that these feelings that you're having about inability to cope, the sadness, the depression, I mean, there's a lot of things in this world that cause that. But if you're going to defeat this, then I think that these are the three things that you and I need to do to help us do it. I really do. Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you this morning, Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your church. We thank you for the reality that you love us and that you have died on the cross, sent your son to die on the cross for us. Father, that salvation is your gift to us. Lord, I do not believe that you want us to be sad, that you want us to be depressed, that you want us to be hopeless. That's just a human response. But Father, in order to defeat this and to overcome it, then we've got to keep our minds in the right places and do the right things. And as we walk with you in faith, looking to you into the future that is ours, Father, you lift our hearts and the Spirit begins to work in us and we begin to feel and exude joy and peace and love and all of the things the Bible talks about. Father, help us to do that. Help us to be that people. Help us, Lord, to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.